And I think that's like literally astrologically what we're up against. And I also think we're up against this kind of like Manichaean perspective where everything is like good or bad, light or dark. And it's like the world is not a Marvel movie. Like mm -hmm. it's complex and nuanced and what's happening in one region of the world does not equate exactly to what's happening in another region of the world or has like context matters and not everything is like divided into oppressor and oppressed and i mean this to look at the world that way is to rip it of all of its texture and meaning and the human individual human spirit My Reset and Recondition 14-day New Year program is available now for 2024 and for only £29. You heard me right, it wasn't an error. For just £29, you will receive to your inbox every day for the first 14 days of January one thing to reset and recondition each of your mind, body, spirit and beyond. To include a recipe, a journal prompt, an affirmation, a chakra balancing exercise and most excitingly as an upgrade from last year's R&R, one short concise manifestation lesson and exercise each day that will lead you to absolutely knowing how to call in your manifestation for the year ahead by the end of the 14 days. And all you need to do is commit 15 minutes a day for the first 14 days of the year. And you can even join our Facebook group to do it alongside me and other women going through the Reset and Recondition program. Just head to laurenvacneen.co.uk forward slash reset or head to the show notes to get the link and sign up now for just £29 and be ready in time for the new year. Welcome back to Reconditioned with me, Lauren Vacneen. I say welcome back. This might be your first time listening. If so, welcome, welcome. This is the podcast that combines everything within the fields of wellness and growth, consciousness, uh, healing, whatever that means to you, anything um, that comes under that umbrella, you will find it here. And today's episode is a little bit different because when Danny Beinstein and I get together, <laughs> some magic happens. It depends how you see it. I mean, we're supposed to be talking about astrological projections for 2024. We do. Don't get me wrong. We do. We absolutely do. But we also go off on tangents that I believe are wonderful tangents and you will take a lot away from if you're an inquisitive person, um, because we, when Danny and I, as she explains it, a Pisces and a Virgo sit down to chat, it's never going to be short. <laughs> um, and we talk about all sorts of interesting things to do with, I guess, human growth. Um, that's what it all comes down to, what, you know, all these conversations we had in today's episode. It started through talking about what's happened, what's been happening in the world right now and how that relates to what's happening astrologically. Um, and then what will happen, what we're going to see next year and beyond from an astrological projection, uh, a perspective. But uh, from that, we take it into other places. And it really is just a free-flowing chat between two very like-minded friends um, who have very similar views and also challenge each other's views. So um, this is just very much a chat. It's not an interview. It is. It has no kind of... 
um, specific structure. It is very free-flowing. And if you are anything like me, where you enjoy that sort of natural conversation about anything related to um, human growth, consciousness, um, anthropology, you know, philosophy, sociology, anything within that, then you will really enjoy this chat. I love this woman so much. I said to her in the episode that so much of how she operates in the world, though we are very similar in many ways, we're very different also in other ways. And there are ways in which she operates that inspires me so much. And I wasn't just saying that to her for the episode, like genuinely, I learned so much from her. And I don't mean from a knowledge perspective, though she has a lot to teach. She is one of the most well-read people I've ever met. Just from the way she operates, from the way she manages her life, her energy, there is so much to learn from her. So I know you're going to love this episode. I'm looking forward to you listening to it. Um, again, it is not a structured episode. We are not talking about any one thing in particular, but if you enjoy two friends talking about some really deep shiz, <laughs> you will enjoy this episode. So like hang on in there with us. We also talk at the end about, um, we do our annual book club because Danny and I love reading. We often like the same books. So we do like a annual book club roundup. What books have we enjoyed this year? Which books are we recommending for next year? Um, and so that is our episode. Don't forget my reset and recondition program is still available. Um, everything you need for wellness and manifestation for 2023 is 14 days of wellness and manifestation uh, from January the 1st. I mean, to be fair, you can do it anytime you want. It works in that way because I know people are busy. The idea is that you'll start it on January the 1st and it will kickstart you for the year ahead with everything you need to get yourself in that place of motivation um, to create the kind of year that you want. It really is phenomenal. It really is amazing what I've put together for only £29, people, £29 is nothing um, to be able to teach you daily manifestation lessons from a quantum mechanics, quantum resonance perspective, short daily lessons and exercises each of the 14 days so that by the end of the 14 days, you have a complete guide on how to manifest the top things you are trying to manifest right now or for 2023. So um, that's what we've got. Just go onto the website to um, download that. Um, just go to laurenbackney.co.uk forward slash reset or get that in the show notes here. And um, yeah, enjoy this episode. As usual, let me know your thoughts over on Instagram. I'm at Lauren Vacney and I can't wait to hear your thoughts. If you've been here a while, you'll know that I believe that we should get whatever we can in the way of nutrition through food. And where we can't get it through food, that's where we supplement. Now, in order to get myself from disabled to completely able-bodied, I had to be really specific and well-researched when it came to supplements, which is why I've been using Amrita Nutrition for the past decade, more than decade actually, to buy pretty much 95% of the supplements I take and recommend. Now Amrita stock the highest quality brands using the highest quality non-synthetic ingredients. Most of these brands couldn't even be bought in the UK when I started taking them years ago, so Amrita have made it super easy and accessible. And the other great thing about Amrita is they offer personal support. So if you're not sure of which supplement to order, you can call them and they'll advise you. Now, they're usually a practitioner-only stockist, but you can buy supplements from Amrita now using practitioner invite code Lauren, which will get you 10% off all supplements. 
And once you set up an account, that 10% will be applied to every order. I've gone ahead and created a collection of all my favorite supplements with Amrita to help you out with it, which you can find in the show notes or on my website by typing in Amrita. Otherwise, just visit amritanutrition.co.uk and use code Lauren for 10% off. Thank you so much to Amrita for continuing to support our mission here at Reconditioned. Well, hello again. Hello. I love it because <laughs> it's like a, a Virgo and a Pisces sit down to chat. Oh God, is there anything better? <laughs> That's why we just can't stop, right? Like these podcasts between us could literally go on for hours. <laughs> it's so true. Every time. And mm-hmm. technically they do because we start before we record and we don't <laughs> stop after we finish recording. So guys listening, I really hope you got some time. <laughs> <laughs> Although you have the much better accent. Well, that's between just, us. That's just opinion, right? That's just opinion. You like I I literally grew up thinking that thing of well, I don't have an accent. And now obviously I realize right. I do, but right. you know, that, that's just opinion. I think your accent's great. I love doing an American accent. We should do an episode where like you do my <laughs> accent and I do yours as well, because that would also be funny. <laughs> I really, I mean, the Anglophile in me, you know, just oh, I love everything British. Do you? Yeah, I just want to like go and I, I just wish I were right now. Well, I guess it's evening for you or afternoon for you, but I'd like to be at the Wosley having so, like- Says the woman breakfast. who moved to rural Tennessee. <laughs> well, you know, it actually looks <laughs> a lot like the English countryside. Yeah. Rural Tennessee. And I'm just outside of Nashville, but there is, um, there is 15 minutes from me and, you know, I'm basically on country roads, a British woman, woman opened up a place called Yorkshire Deli and it's like proper <laughs> British and it's on this little farm oh, out wow. here in Tennessee and like it's it's so divine and I love going there I feel like that is so your dream because <laughs> you love all that like quaint I do. English <laughs> rustic kind of thing all of that I just love it I love it I just discovered it like a like a few months ago um but yeah but I do well, love well, you still need to come here so we can spend a weekend at the Wolseley and Yes, I I have. And I have close friends there. I've been meaning to come uh, for a while. I was going to stop in possibly last May. And then when I went to Paris and I just had to come back. But I believe me, I want to get out there and I want to get out to the countryside and Coltswold and I was devastated when you were in Paris and you didn't come here. (laughs) I know I really it was an in and out thing. You know, there's a direct from Nashville to London, which is fantastic on BA. So I got to take advantage of that. Yeah. I'm desperate to take my mom. She's always wanted to go to Nashville. So really? Yeah. Yeah. She's desperate. She really oh wants God, to go to Nashville. It's like her dream. It's very magical. Does she like country music? Although she it's not it. just country music. No, she anymore. loves it. Yeah. She loves it. And she loves country music. She loves the whole like music scene. She yes. loves just the idea of Nashville. Nashville and New Orleans have been her dream. So like I have it on my bucket list to take her on a big trip. Oh my God. You, you got to add Charleston and Savannah. That's on my list. So we were hoping here, we're not going, here we are going (laughs) off on a tangent, Pisces and Virgo. Don't worry. We're going to talk about the astrological projections for 2024, but just listen to us ramble for a bit. I promise you'll get something out of it. Every time we do one of these people are like, Oh, I loved your chat. So just like bear with us. Okay. Bear with us. But the trip that Daniel and I are desperate to do in the summer, although I don't think it's going to happen this summer now is starting. I want to do like an East coast trip. So different to what most people want to do when they travel to the States. 
I want to start in like Maine, Vermont, go to like oh. all the fishing towns yes. and like see, you know, like lobster Magical. and all of that. And then go down. I, I want to spend like a week in Martha's Vineyard or like one of the maybe less known There's islands like Block of Island. Well, like the, that's, well so Martha's Vineyard is both of those Martha's Vineyard and Cape Cod are off of Massachusetts. And then if you go, then the island, like the Hamptons, but also North Fork, that's off of New York. And then if you keep coming down the seaboard, there's like, you know, Maine and then DC and then Virginia and all the way down. But all of those, there's also Block Island off of Rhode Island, which mm -hmm. is magical. New England is, especially in the summer, is incredible. But also, also in the autumn, right? New England oh. in the autumn is amazing. So, but yeah, we, we would only incredible. be able to do it in the summer. And yeah, we wanted to do that in like Cape Cod and then go down to um, North Carolina, South Carolina. Yes. Do like a, yes. a, a week in a lake house and then end in New York because I love New Beach York. house. Beach I house. mean, there are lakes there, but okay. the but the thing about Charleston is it's on the Atlantic. All right, I'm just going to call you when I'm ready. To yeah, <laughs> it's it's so it's on and Savannah. So they're right like off of it, but Savannah and Charleston. I think Charleston is probably the most beautiful city in America. It's like if you took parts of London and put them in the Caribbean. Okay. And then and the food is sublime, and then. Nashville is, I mean, I love living here and it's so fun. And then New Orleans is like another country. Yeah, it's its it, own culture yeah. completely. And that's down on the Gulf. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. No, yeah well, uh, I, well, as you know, I want to end up, well, you told me. In Arizona. In my, my astrological, um, when you did my in your chart, that I, would, that I would end up somewhere, which, it, and I came on and said to you, and I've always seen myself kind of around like, um, you know, North Carolina, somewhere like that. And you yeah. were like, well, Lauren, your, um, your Venus actually runs right through. It's Tennessee, pretty magical. North Carolina. So we'll see. But yeah, I would just want to like travel the whole of the state. So let's just uh, ignore the politics. Yes. Well, you know, <laughs> honestly, travel. honestly, the thing that I love about Nashville is no one's talking about that, like at the coffee shop. I mean, you're, it's just very person to person. Mm. It's very human. Um, there's very strong communities that exist in the South, in the Southeast. And it's part of the reason I was so drawn to this culture. There's uh, a very strong rootedness and faith. And it's, it's, you know, America's so complex and so regional and people think they understand it, but Americans, we barely understand it. It's so mm. complex and layered, but you know, the thing that's amazing about living in America is, you know, if I take a plane, let's say to Bozeman, Montana, it's a different world. It's a different culture. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. I, I always believe like every state in America is like a different country with the, it's the really culture. True. It's amazing. It's really true. Like New Orleans is only seven and a half hours for me drive wise. Like I plan to drive in the next few months down there because that's, it's like when I have such envy where I'm like, oh, you can just take a train to Paris or you can, you know, <laughs> yeah. or people, it's just a short flight to go anywhere in Europe. There's, it's very similar here, right? And then very, Mexico yeah. is right there too. And Canada's right there. And yeah. I think maybe Americans don't appreciate that as much. Like my cousins moved from South Africa um, to California, Southern California, and yeah. they are making the most of it. They're traveling like every weekend because they weren't used to it. So they're really appreciating the fact that they can travel to like different states and do fun things. I think it's just person to person. I, I definitely, we're big road trippers. Mm. And so 
I try to take advantage as often as I can. But it's wild. Like I haven't been to Alabama. There's um, I'm a real student of history and and I really wanted to go to Alabama to, to go to all the um, civil rights sites. And then there are EGI just uh, put together this uh, built this really, really uh, stunning memorial. Uh, so I want to get down there and it's like three hours mm. drive. I'm like, I need to take advantage of that. Yeah. But yeah, you get into your day, right? And you get into your life and then things happen. But yeah, it's true. It's one of the the, Amer- the all-American road trip, right? Well, I'm just holding on to you telling me like over about a year and a half ago that 2025 would be the year that I do that kind of stuff. So Big I'm year. Just, yeah, preparing in 2025. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. okay. Speaking of 2024, yeah. Before we go into kind of your projections for 2024, mm-hmm. like we're living in a strange, messed up oh. time, and we tend yeah. to blame the planets and the moon for a lot of stuff. But is anything that is going on now? Do you think related to what's happening with the planets? I do. I do. I think it's a symbiotic relationship, right? Because the energy gets filtered through us as individuals, but there are sweeping historical moments. And I think it is what makes this time particularly strange is the social media 24 hour news, mm-hmm. not even news, let's call it, you know, info information. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but, you know, if you think of someone born in like the in America in the 1800s, you know, they would have been a witness to the Civil War, you know, World War One, World War II, the Depression, World War Two, the, the Civil Rights Movement, Kennedy assassination, like, it's, it is, it is a wild time, but I think it feels more wild, because for those of us living in the West, it's been relatively copacetic post post-Vietnam, you know, mm-hmm. so in our lifetimes, mm-hmm. you and I, right? So I think it feels more shocking and more sudden and like what is happening because uh, we've lived in a relative bubble, so to speak, right? Mm-hmm. Especially like since the 90s, like the 90s, some people say the 90s in the West was like the height of civilization, right? Like, so... I think it, so I just wanted to preface it by saying that, that it's always, this is why I'm such a student of history, because it always puts things in context. Yeah, right? so true. That's why you and I like the same books. Yes, yes. But that, that aside, so there's a couple things. The first is that, so Pluto is making its way through the end of Capricorn. It moved into Capricorn in 2008. Uh, with that, we had here in America, the, you know, the Wall Street crash, but of course, American economy affects the whole world and all of that, right? So Capricorn is the structures of our lives, actually a feminine sign, but we think of it as masculine because it's come to be associated with, you know, corporations and entities and establishments and institutions. But Pluto coming in, it was basically like a wrecking ball. And because Pluto takes 248 years roughly to go around the Zodiac, uh, it, it also is on the same timeline as revolutions. So the last time Pluto was in Capricorn or nearing the end of Capricorn, we had the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Then as Pluto moved into Aquarius, 
And so that's where we are now, right? But over this, over 2024, it'll backtrack. So right now it's at the tail end of Capricorn. It's, it went direct on October 10th. It'll make its way back into Aquarius and then it'll dip back into Capricorn. And then basically, uh, November 19th of 2024, it will be in Aquarius. Now, last time Pluto was in Aquarius, we had the actual American revolution. And then the, uh, then, you know, all of the kind of fallout of the revolution. And then finally, George Washington, uh, becoming the first president of the United States. We also had the French Revolution. So the reason I say all of that, right, because the French Revolution started in 1789. So the reason I say all of that is because, which is the same year that George Washington, I believe, April of 1789, George Washington became the first president. So the reason all of that is uh, worth noting is you'll see very similar themes that are emerging. What is freedom? Right. Mm -hmm. It's like it was America freeing itself from, uh, you know, the British monarchy and taxation without representation and all of that. There's very similar themes which have been emerging really since Pluto went into Capricorn. And then in Pluto is kind of the breakdown of these institutions or something feels amiss or all the shadow of these too big to fail institutions. And then you know, Pluto moving into Aquarius, Aquarius is, you know, egalite, liberty, um, brotherhood, all of that. So you're seeing that emerge on that timeline. So that's not a short transit, right? Pluto moves into Aquarius. It'll be there finally, November 19th of 2024 until 2043, and then it'll dip back and then 2044. This is not a short-term transit. And so recognizing that we are living through a sweeping moment in history. Where does it end up? I don't know. I tend to believe that humanity will prevail. I have to hold that, but we don't know. So we're in a very precarious time. And like, if you think about the American Revolution and you think, um, okay, 1776, like basically to 1789, that's not a two-year window. Like things take time to unfold. So, and then obviously with the French Revolution, um, you then ended up with Napoleon and the Napoleonic Wars. And that you, right? So these things take time. That was well into the um, early 1800s, not well into, but into the early 1800s. So we are at a really pivotal time. So there's that. On top of that, we are having similar astrology to World War II. So the start of World War II, basically 1939. Uh, if you look at the astrology from that, we are having the Uranus return. So Uranus takes about 84 years to grow in the zodiac, and Uranus is revolutionary in a different way than Pluto is. It's more, uh, it's, it can feel sudden, though it's not, right? And it can feel incredibly disruptive. So we are seeing, depends who you ask and what vantage point they're coming from, uh, but we see the rise of totalitarianism, right? So this is not to panic anyone, but we are in a really pivotal time in history. And part of, I think, what's been challenging for a lot of millennials is we've been sold, you know, or millennials have been sold this idea that, uh, that everything's in your control, 
Mm. If you just clear your subconscious and you just do this, then you get, then the world opens up like a red carpet for you and you can get what you want. But that's not true. It may be true in minor way, like in terms of, you know, seeking and setting up for the house that you want or, you know, building your career. But there are things that are out of our control, namely that we're born and we die. <laughs> Taxes, right? And then the time in which we incarnate, that is part of our soul contract. And what I'm finding uh, my clients are kind of up against is the grief and the breakdown of this idea that, you know, anything was possible the moment that they want it. Mm. And that's where real spirituality comes in, real faith, you know, and Saturn is moving through Pisces. It moved in in March of 2023. It'll be there ultimately, uh, you know, through 2025. And Saturn in Pisces is a maturation around the mystical and the spiritual. And it's not an easy transit. It can feel like we're in the soup of it. And we do have in 2024, we have some towards the end of 2024, like uh, August, September, October, we have Jupiter, which will by then be in Gemini and moves in the end of May from Taurus. We'll have some grace with Jupiter to balance out Saturn's challenge. Uh, but it's, it's not an easy transit. The thing that's interesting is after Pisces comes Aries, which is the new astrological cycle. And in 2026, Saturn and Neptune, Neptune takes 164 years to grow in the Zodiac, uh, will meet up in Aries. And that feels like a legitimate set change. That feels like, you know, a kind of dissolving of the old and a uh, an embarking of the new. But again, these are seeds. Like these things take time to ripple out through the density of 8 billion humans on earth, right? So I think that um, there is, a, all that being said, there's there's a lot of grace in 2024. In April of 2024, we have, the end near the end of April of 2024, we have Jupiter, which is the planet of expansion and growth, conjunct Uranus, which is that um, sudden uh, change, disruptive, but also innovative uh, planet in Taurus, which is financial, but also it's the material world in life. So it's also earth, it's beauty, physical beauty. Um, and who know, I mean, who knows what can come from that? There's, there's really potential expansion in that area. And if it's hitting your chart even more so. And then the eclipses that we have in 2024. So we've got four eclipses. There's anywhere from four to six eclipses every year. So the eclipses this year are March 24th and April 8th. So March 24th will be a lunar eclipse in Libra, April 8th, a solar eclipse in Aries, followed by uh, September 17th, a lunar eclipse in Pisces. And they start to move into Pisces and Virgo. And then October 2nd, a solar eclipse in Libra. So Aries and Libra's partnership, right? And the self versus the other. The Taurus Scorpio eclipses, which we're now complete with, but started in November of 2021, those had a lot of density to them. 
especially with Uranus involved. So there's some, it feels like some, uh, some more movement is possible. We also, you know, we had Venus retrograde in 2023, Mars goes retrograde in 2024, but not until December into February of 2025. So we're not dealing with personal planet retrogrades. We do, we, the three Mercury retrogrades are all in fire signs. The, uh, the one in the summer also, uh, dips into Virgo, but all three fire signs are involved. So there's like a, I think for fire signs, there's a, there's a way to work with that in terms of like recognizing uh, how to see things from different vantage points, which Mercury can give, Mercury retro can give it. So to answer your question, there's some, there's some big <laughs> astrological developments, but uh, it feels more graceful than 2023. Mm. Well, thank it God fe- for that. Yeah, it, fe- <laughs> <laughs> it feels like there is more, um, there's more opportunity, but again, all, all, you know, all energy is neutral until directed. Mm-hmm. So it's like, what do we do with it? How is, how is it hitting our personal chart? How is it hitting national charts? And what does all of that mean? And then while living in this kind of sweeping time in history, I do think the kind of underlying theme here, and I, not that I think I'm any, you know, soothsayer, but that that is called a soothsayer. Um, but I did predict a rise in religion. And I think we are going to see that with Saturn in Pisces. I think that uh, people need more. They need to believe beyond the material world. And sadly, a lot of what's been called spiritual has been commercialized and Mm -hmm. about material gain. And I think people feel the limits of that. We're here to desire, we're here to experience the beauty of the world and, and to experience the material world. But I think there's a limit to how much it can satisfy. And I think that people are feeling called towards something bigger, which is why you're seeing these large political movements it's it's that i'm part of something bigger beyond just myself and my own desires and i think that trend will continue as it does when life gets more challenging and and actually bringing that back to what you said a bit earlier about kind of we're seeing it's about seeing what spirituality really is like now we're being called to really assess spirituality and for me this year has really done that. Like when you said it will be more graceful than 2023, I'm like, okay. Because, <laughs> you know, I know a lot of people often say, you know, we get to the end of the year and there's always those memes of we need an, a bigger sage stick or we need, you yeah, know. Like, yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> but for me, 2023 was that more than any other year. Like I know a lot of people found 2020 understandably very hard. For me, 2020 was an education, uh, an opportunity yeah. for immense growth, um so much learning so much opportunity for me to um and for many people to go deeper on their mm-hmm. you know their spiritual evolution and, and and truly show you know but for me 2023 there's been a lot of that feeling of of kind of walking uphill battling uphill a lot and yeah. um so a bit more grace for 2024 would be really welcome but you know when we're talking about spirituality and I'm so glad you brought that up. 
these difficult times, and I know you will mm-hmm. so agree with me on this because we have the same views on this, but it's it's so easy to talk about being spiritual in a time that's just, you know, kind of yes. like simple and e- not easy. No, yeah. no time's ever easy, but when things are kind of balanced in your life and things are uh, where they are, like it's really easy to go to, you know, full moon circles and, and you yes. know, sound baths and go to yoga and meditate when things are easy. But when things are challenging, that's when we're actually being called to really look at what spirituality means for us. Like, what is that word? You know, because I actually don't even like the word anymore because of the connotations around it. I'd rather like refer to it as consciousness, but let's just use spirituality anyway for the moment, just so we're not confusing everyone. But, you know, that's what spirituality is for me. And actually, I had a really good example of this. A friend of mine, one of my closest friends, her mum's really sick at the moment and she called me when she was from hospital um, and her mum was about to go down for a big surgery. And this friend of mine is a sound healer and she, thank God, is has always had good health. She looks after herself. She's, you know, she's a really healthy mm-hmm. person. Thank God all her children, you know, well, mm-hmm. and she's never really had to deal with illness. Like, unlike me, it's been a theme yes. of my life. Yes. So thank God, not so much anymore, but I, it's, illness has yes. been a theme and I understand how to manage it I understand how to manage myself within it so she called me from the hospital and she said it is just revolting in here the bright lights and the sterile smell and the green Mm -hmm. walls and when she's in surgery I think I'm gonna have to go somewhere and like find a yoga class you know she was in central London and I was like okay let's look at this it's like let's just look at what is your what you're being called to right now yes it's all well and good being spiritual when you spend your days in yoga studios and sound baths. But yes, how spiritual yes. can you be right now in that lights. sterile environment yeah. under those harsh lights with the doctors telling you things you don't agree with, yes. waiting eight hours for your mum to come out? Yes. You know, it's number one, so you're true. not going to not want to be there if they come out to tell you something or if you know, but this is your opportunity to step into that yes. spirituality. And I'm just using that as kind of an analogy for what I feel like we're being called towards at the moment. Because for me, as you and I have spoken about this, the the stuff that's going on at the moment has hit home for both of us for various reasons. And, you know, I used the word broken to you and you Mm -hmm. were like, I don't want to use that narrative because Mm -hmm. I'm stronger than that. And you're so Mm -hmm. right, because that was for the first five days. And I've said this on the podcast when I did an episode with Aaron Abke about really using this time to step up our yeah. consciousness. Um, I did use that word for the first five days. Mm-hmm. I was like, you know, I was broken. And then I, w- and then I was shown that this is my opportunity to truly yeah. step into that place of spirituality that I preach and I think I practice. Well, how deeply can I practice it now? Yeah. Yeah. And is it that maybe in 2024, that's what we're being called to really step into because you know we can talk about spirituality until the cows come home let's look at what's going on in the world how are we managing it how are we showing up and and guiding people during that i think that's exactly it and you know you're a pisces right so 2023 it was going to be challenging for you with saturn moving into pisces i mean we have to get the degrees the specificity of it but this is there is a real challenge to it. And Saturn is really like, you got to backbone it up. You got to, you know, find that, find that inner resolve. And I think that, 
you know, the word that I prefer is soulful to spiritual mm -hmm. because and maybe it's the Virgo in me and all the earth that I have, but it, spirituality can feel so ungrounded or unintegrated, the word. I, maybe it's just how it's come to me, you know, what it's come to mean. And, you know, the core etymology of it isn't that, but what contextually it's come to mean. Yes, I agree. And I, right. And I think that, you know, I am a person who believes deeply in God, which may surprise people because I'm an astrologer. I've had people come and ask me, you know, who are religious and various, you know, whatever their religion is, you know, how do you, how do I square astrology with this? And I, it's, I always say like, it's not trying to be God. I'm just pointing out the energy, right? And then it's what we do with the energy. But I am a person who, uh, I, I believe very strongly in God, which actually started for me. Uh, I was kind of an atheist, I think, in my teens. And then uh, my dad took me on safari in Africa. And I just remember looking at it and go, there's no way. That was my personal, like, there's just no mm. way. There's not something greater. Like, there's just no way. The, the, I was truly awe-inspired by it. And then uh, I was raised Jewish, but then not, not long after that, a few years after that, we went to Rio and I stood in front of that statue of Christ and I sobbed. Mm. So I, I went through some kind of uh, religious, I, you know, I, I contemplated converting to different religions and then kind of settled back into my Judaism. But I have a kind of like Gnostic Christianity that's kind of my, which is mm -hmm. basically pre, it's basically Jesus when he was a Jew preaching, like those kind of beliefs are the ones that I just come back to, right? Like mm -hmm. mercy and forgiveness and consciousness and oneness. That's all, that's all side. But for me, I have a, I have a strong faith in God. And to me, that is not, um, I love what Carolyn May says. She's like, you know, the, God isn't personal, but sometimes there's, I'm paraphrasing here. There's like a, the miracle of him bending towards, of God. I don't believe it's a him, but like bending towards individual need or to, like, I, I don't personalize God in that way. Um, and I think that what has happened in our culture, and again, this is my view, is that because of various things, Christopher Lash wrote, you know, alluded to this in his culture of narcissism, that we are moving, we have been moving for a long time, probably, you know, probably post-war America, uh, towards more narcissism that everything is like me, me, me. Mm -hmm. But I found it more helpful to say, it's actually not about me at all. What's about me is how I am a steward of my soul, how I show up and how much resilience and heart and strength of heart I possess moment to moment. Like that is my job, right? Uh, and then I give it over to God. You know, spirituality that to me, that is, you know, mm -hmm. as opposed to bring me this and bring me this and bring me this, which I think ultimately ends up feeling like a video game and not very soulful at all. That's why, you know, that's why Jim Carrey famously said, like, I wish everybody could get famous and everybody could have everything I could have to see how 
ultimately meaningless it is. But we need, to, as human beings, we need to go on some kind of arc around that, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's whatever our personal arc is. But I think that uh, one's spirituality, one's experience of faith is a deeply personal thing. But whether you are deeply religious or you know firmly atheist i think having a moral code is key to a to right action mm. and key to uh feeling a sense of fulfillment whatever that is right ideally that involves no harm to another you know as a moral code but I think that that is, I think we've lost our way. I think we have become, uh, yeah, I think we're lost. And I think there is a lot of like, think a lot about like the worshiping of the golden calf and that, that story that's played out again and again and again, right? And how we then must return to something deeper, something more meaningful. And I think the, I'll just say, I think the astrology speaks to that, to that, that this moment in time. Interesting, the golden calf thing. You're so right. It's, it's, the golden calf is almost like, you know, the best analogy. Mm -hmm. of I think so. Because we're in biblical times. I mean, it feels like that to me. For sure. Yeah. I mean, the level of kind of brutality um, and desire to be saved. Yes. You know, and and always coming back to this, you know, had they have seen then that it was the faith, the deep internal faith mm -hmm. that saves you, not the golden calf, you know, or yeah. any other yes. amalgamation of that. Yes. And and that's where we go wrong because we're always looking for the proverbial golden calf. Yes. Someone else to save us. I think yes. so much of my work is actually rooted in that. So much of my journey to, you know, healing my physical body yeah. Yeah. was coming to realize no one's going to save me. Every time something worked a little bit, I was like, I'll keep working with this person. That person will save me. You know, this person will be the answer. Yes. They'll have the cure. Yes. And it was only in coming to learn, actually, when I was 19 and went to have that treatment in Israel that was amazing and got me from wheelchair bound to like riding a bike and then coming back to England after six months and a year later, the arthritis coming back and that being the biggest blessing of my life because that doctor in Israel, the, you know, the holistic therapy was, he was amazing. I, I'm still mm -hmm. in touch with him. He's like, had such a profound impact on my life. But I had to learn, like I had to be given that lesson that he could be as amazing as he wants, but you yep. have to take responsibility for your well-being and your life. And yes. I think, you know, definitely a theme in my life has, you know, I've been guided towards seeing that. And even now working with Don Javier, my shaman, regardless of his, you know, level of kind of, you know, his hierarchy, his personal power, what I'm learning from him, he still can't save me. Yeah, no, you know? no one else. And that's the key, right? No one else can save us. And this is my, um, this is my biggest issue 
with the kind of victim Olympics, victim consciousness that is running through at least America. Um, oh, it's not living in other countries. Right. So I feel like it, it weakens one's spirit and weakens one fi- literally physically. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like if you, if we are continually saying and, you know, denigrating people for their excellence and wanting to see excellence fail and wanting to promote a kind of, frankly, mediocrity, right? When the human spirit, like I personally, my, probably my Achilles heel in this earth is nostalgia. Like as a student of history, (laughs) like I just am like, oh, remember the 80s? Like the 80s was really hard for a lot of people. I was a kid. It wasn't that hard. It wasn't hard for me, you know, but like that is my Achilles heel. And I and I own that. But there is something uh, that is there's something that is essential to the human spirit, which is innovation and growth. And I think that. I battle that within myself because I'm a huge proponent of the environment. And sometimes I think it's not about inventing new things. It's about letting nature heal itself. Right. But if we, if we fight against the individual's growth, the individual's pursuance of excellence in whatever way that shows up for that individual, we will have a sick society. And I, I firmly believe that. And I, you know, I'm also someone I am, I have a domestic partner, you know, I've been living with him for seven years. I am unmarried. I do not have children. And yet I think the family unit is like essential to a society, right? Like I, I don't need the world to cater to the fact that I am an unmarried woman. Like I, I kind of consider myself a witch in the woods. Like I don't need to be part of that, but I think it is essential. Like, I think this kind of like family is bad and separate from family. And like, you know, I I have plenty of, you know, issues in my family, but I try to work on myself to work through them, to build bridges. And I haven't always done that and the best job of it, but I just am seeing this trend, which I I think there is going to be pushback. And I think the pendulum is going to swing in the other way of like, families are bad. There's this anti-natalist thing of like having children is bad. And like, what is that going to do long-term to the human spirit? Mm. We are starting to see the pendulum turn the other way. Yes. Like for sure, because as someone who is a mother in kind of the holistic community, this community is growing. There is a lot of women wanting to return to the home, coming out of the workplace, very much feeling grounded and rooted. Like it's actually giving me chills as I'm saying, because I, I know it's so important to me. And this year for me has been about finding a balance from my work and being in the home more. And 
so I'm seeing it as a theme around me so much. Women are being called back to the home, 100%. called back to be present mothers, called back. And I, you know, I don't want any backlash from this because I'm going to say it called back to the kitchen, to stand in the kitchen, making wholesome meals with love and energy yes. to feed our families and to nourish ourselves through the act of doing it. And I'm seeing this happening a 100%. lot. 100%. And are there exceptions like you know, I'm with someone who's a real nurturer and like happens to be a great cook. And are there exceptions? Yes. And should the exceptions be um, denigrated? No. But there is something like I have a lot of younger clients and through our work together, you know, they have realized like they really want motherhood and like tears streaming down their face. And it makes me cry because it's like, that's such a beautiful thing. And like that, all of this material has been caked on them to think like, no, they should pursue like a corporate career. That's what's going to bring them fulfillment. And the myth of independence, like this is the thing that's really interesting. Like, why are you more independent if you are dependent on a corporation? Mm. I feel like you that's know, a book title, the myth of independence. <laughs> but it is, you know, it is, and it's such a deep, there's such a deep mythology in the American psyche. But I think that, again, most of what has made America, you know, in the past and in moments blossom is this sense of community coupled with the pursuit of individual excellence, like the, the both of that, right? And the family unit. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just seeing, um, I'm just seeing this kind of shift and maybe it's anecdotal because it's who I'm working with and who, what I'm seeing, but I'm seeing once we remove the layers that there is that deep desire to return to that. And, you know, I think it's a beautiful thing because I think there's been a lot of discord in like, and I don't, one can get into a theoretical conversation and philosophical conversation that everything is a construct but not everything is a construct like women desiring to be mothers is not a construct it's a literal biological function mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right and biological imperative so i think that we've just gone to and you know this is coming from someone i consider myself highly intellectually curious but intellectual curiosity has moved into far away from curiosity and into this kind of like strange moral righteousness mm -hmm. around like total construction of everything so then what are you left with nihilism and i think that's like literally astrologically what we're up against and i also think we're up against this kind of like manichaean perspective where everything is like good or bad light or dark and it's like the world is not a marvel movie like mm -hmm. it's complex and nuanced and what's happening in one region of the world does not equate exactly to what's happening in another region of the world or has like context matters and not everything is like divided into oppressor and oppressed. And I mean, this to look at the world that way is to rip it of all of its texture and meaning and the human individual human spirit. And I'm going to get off my soapbox now, but that's like my core. That's my real um, belief is that like we need to come back to humanity and like 
you know, originally that's like the purpose of art, but art has become ideological as well, instead of emotionally resonant. And so I feel where I, and I feel the, and yet I feel the pendulum swinging back. I think Mm -hmm. people are tired of being told what to think and what to do Mm -hmm. and who to be. Fun fact, humans take in more information in one day now than they did in their entire lives in the 1700s. No wonder we're overwhelmed. Our brains and bodies simply haven't evolved to manage this level of stress. And until that evolution happens, if we want to be well in mind and body, we need things that help alleviate this stress. For me, one of the key tools in my daily wellness toolkit that does this is the Sensate. And if you've been here a while, you'll know how genuinely obsessed I am with this product. It is a piece of health tech that fits in the palm of your hand and it basically sends infrasonic waves through the chest to activate the vagus nerve and calm the autonomic nervous system while you listen to the specially composed audio within the app. I usually use the Sensate for 10 to 20 minutes before I sleep to reduce cortisol levels, calm my brainwave states from the hectic day and send me into a deep sleep. Clients of friends of mine who have a Sensate have told me that their sleep has never been so good. People who usually struggle with sleep just wake up in the same position they went to sleep in. Everyone needs a Sensate in my opinion and I particularly recommend it to anyone who suffers from overwhelm or anxiety and anyone who wants to deepen their meditation practice. And you can get £30 off the Sensate by visiting getsensate.com and using code Lauren30. That's G-E-T-S-E-N-S-A-T-E dot com Lauren30. Thank you so much to Sensate for supporting our mission here at Reconditioned. Yeah. I think what you've said about kind of the nuance and losing the texture, I think, and I have done for a long time, and actually my, I just did a TEDx talk and it was literally about this, that our issue with not healing our bodies and our minds is because we think that everything needs to be black and white. And it's always, it's going to be this thing. It's going to be that thing. It's never just one thing. That is true for life. Generally, everything has nuance and our issue, our biggest issue as human humans is that we want everything to be black and white. So when we're assessing the situation, you know, the, 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 uh, like a war or what's going on now in Israel, it's like, these are the baddies. These are the goodies you know, like you said, life isn't a Marvel movie. It's complex. It's textured. There is a lot of in between. There is a lot of nuance, many layers to it. And our issue is that we cannot seem to scrape away at those layers to see what lies underneath. And actually, when we do that, we find a sense of balance because we can understand that actually we can't understand everything. Yes. And I think this is the shadow side of the um intention around the internet and the fact that we were alive to see the internet boom it is is just an insane thing mm-hmm. like in the time of history it's like being alive during the printing press right the invention of the printing press like more so i think that the promise of the democratization of media has left us bereft of a human narrative because it's so many people, right? It's like everyone now has a microphone. So 
how can you distinguish what's truth and what's not truth? Whereas before that, there was kind of there, you know, information, sure, information was kept private and secret. It still is now, right? There still is that um, where things are hidden, truths are hidden. But like, it had to go through so many layers to come to a cohesive narrative. Now, each individual has a microphone. And so you can just be tuned into one voice mm-hmm. without that voice taking into consideration all the other voices. Yeah, we serve our own confirmation bias. Yes, exactly. That's a much better way and simpler way of saying it. Yes. And so it's the irony, right? It's like the democratization of media led to, um, in a way, less less humane thought when the intent is that it would have given us like more empathy, but there's also empathy fatigue. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's, um, yeah, it's a wild time to be alive. But I do, I go back to like, oh, this is like the invention of the printing press. And one of the first things that happened with the printing press was the spread of antisemitism. Because people were reading it, they could read and they became literate. And they're like, oh, I'm reading this. This is true. Right. Yeah. Right. So I'm watching this video. They're saying things. That's true. No, mm-hmm. not necessarily. Right. So it feels I try and pull the lens back and say, you know, because I do feel like my role, not everyone's role, my role in this lifetime is a more of like a witness consciousness. Mm-hmm and a more of kind of um, uh, seeing things from that perspective. And I think part of that is not having children because I think that, which by the way, I thought I would have four kids. So my life, that's a whole other conversation has not gone the way I thought it would. But it's like, because I don't have that primal thing of like, which I know I would if I had a child, like their security and their safety is my number one priority. I'm able to see things, I think, a little bit with a pulled back lens, given all of the fact. Now, that's not everybody who's childless. That's just no, but my I also journey. think that that is your level of intelligence, because I observe you in your witnessing. You maintain a, a huge level of personal power in how you witness things, absorb it, have deeply intelligent views on things and don't feel the need to shout about them. That is personal yes. power. Not everyone's mm-hmm. able to do that. I, for whatever reason, that feels my journey and, you know, there's no right or wrong way. And there is certainly a big loss in this lifetime, not having children. And then there's also these other gains given my personal journey, a lot of which I haven't shared publicly, but, you know, that is, that's, thank you for saying that. Cause that is the role I, that is the role I try to not even just play. That is the person I try to be. You you serve as an expander for me to use Lacey's oh. <laughs> um, in in a huge way for that, especially in the way you manage your business, for example. Yeah. Because let's get granular. Like yeah. running our businesses is part of yes. you know we yeah. can, we can um, uh, kind of connect that to our spirituality, our consciousness, uh, because how we run our businesses reflects who we are as people. So even in that, even in how I like observe how you do that, you know, and, and 
It's, a, it's very beautiful and it's very mm. um, inspiring for me because I'm not naturally, I think my journey of healing yeah. got me to the place, I've spoken about this many times on the podcast where kind of 15 years ago when the internet was a newish thing, Facebook yeah. was brand new and I was shouting yeah. from the rooftops, anyone that would listen, like, this is what you need to know about this, like all the controversial <laughs> stuff, you know, and all yeah. the stuff that people weren't aware of maybe. And I was like, but you need to hear about it. And I was angry about it because these are the things that had affected my life. And yeah. in my heart, I was just trying to help people. But actually yes. I took completely the wrong approach. I had no, none of us, you know, our generation was thrust into the world of social media. That's and insane. we needed to have like social media etiquette training. Yes, and we did so And It true. was like, here's a platform, say <laughs> so what true. you want. Yes, you know? that's what I'm saying. It's, that was you're so right. Up. That should be required in school. I never thought of that. It but was and I was one of those people that yeah. like if I was to ever do one of those like have you ever listened to the podcast how to fail with Elizabeth no, Day it's a British podcast incredible. you would okay. love it okay. um she's a British journalist and author and her yeah the podcast is great it, it's become fairly mainstream now but yeah. it, it's very good um <laughs> Like the, the the ethos behind it is she takes someone that's well known ish mm. and she asks them that about their three biggest failures in life. Oh, I love that. And you know, always we know that failure yeah. helps us to learn and grow. Yes. So they talk about their failures and what that's led them to. And I always thought if she ever asks me, Hey Elizabeth, if you're listening, <laughs> to be on the show, one of my failures would be how I approached social media when it first came out. Now, did I know any better? No. But yeah. I did not have that level of personal power to be able to hold myself back and manage it in a more effective way. Like now, I feel like, and still nowhere near as much as you do it. Like people listen to you because you don't shout about it. You know, like it. that time taught me so much about how people actually respond to what you're saying. And they certainly don't respond when you're screaming to them about it, you know? And, and yeah, it's just no, such a and lesson. Yet it is. And I think that um, emotions are flying very, very high right now, uh, as they do at different times. And I think they're, it's interesting how our experiences in life inform how we show up. Like I have a father who has very, very big emotions very big emotions and they seem to have gotten bigger. I don't know if they've gotten bigger as he's aged, he's about to turn 80, or if I've matured more. So I see it differently. I don't know. I can't, and I can't answer that, right? Because everything is subjective. And you know, when you're, when you're looking at something like this, but his really big emotions it's almost like I had a reaction formation where I'm like, okay, you're having such big emotion. And it's like, it, it really like could be the printer not working or like the war, right? Like he mm -hmm. just, he doesn't have a highly regulated emotional system. Um, and he certainly doesn't have mastery over his feelings. So I think in we having- We the same dad. <laughs> my dad's also about maybe 10 80. <laughs> maybe it's like that generation but i think almost like i could have gone i mean I could have gone a million different ways but i think like one of my siblings i think carries that same emotional response to the world and 
I don't. And I've been accused of being very detached because I don't. But I, I think it's partially growing up around that and going, um, that's not going to work for me. Like I literally, I can't live in the world that emotional all the time. Mm. You know, partly that's why I watch shows like This Is Us, which is no longer on because then I like that's sob, you know, like sob every single episode. And there's an element, you know, art pr- provides catharsis, right? Or like the book, A Little Life, which led me, you know, from fetal <sighs> position sobbing for three days. Stop but like, there's, there's like, I tend to be, um, and it's not that it's not spontaneous. Like I will have emotional reactions, but I think I have a kind of knee jerk reaction to step back and say, what's happening. Um, this, this war has been an interesting, uh, somewhat of a variation of that because I experienced what people call as, uh, ancestral trauma, literally moving through my body. And I was like, I, this is a new feeling. Like, I don't know this feeling and this feels okay. Like I've got to learn how to work with this and was unregulated and did post a few times. I tried to be as regulated as possible, but I, I was definitely on the more for me, especially the more unregulated, uh, because I was having a response that was frankly new to me. Uh, even though I had grown up having nightmares around, uh, world war two, my whole life like that, it, it triggered all of that. But I think partly that's because it's a reaction to my father and my mother is non-reactive. So I think I have more of my mom in me. It's reverse. I have a lot of people think of male and female, mm. right? Like those gender stereotypes are reversed in my parents, even though my dad was my, the family system was my dad was the provider and my mom was the homemaker. Their emotional responses to the world were that way. Uh, my mother comes from her brother's a nuclear physicist, like they're real. And my dad comes from like street, like didn't go to college, didn't finish seventh grade, went to the army and then, uh, you know, built a business. And they're very different in how they perceive the world and, and, uh, and are both both have massive amounts of unhealed trauma. So I think that that led me on the path. And I'm the third. Mm-hmm. So I, I had some wiggle room, I think, too. You know, if you're a firstborn, it's a different thing. If you're second, but being thirdborn and then being eight and ten years younger than my sisters, I think gave me more of like, uh, that's not gonna work, that's not gonna work, that's not mm-hmm. gonna work. I better work on myself. <laughs> yeah. Like, 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 cause I don't know what, like, I'm not seeing any paths that really appeal to me here, you know? So it's funny cause I'm, I'm the first and, um, you know, my dad being Moroccan, yeah, uh, you know, um, that real kind and, and the oldest son of yes. you know, a family of 10, um, and me being the first ten. Thing, so yeah, well, he was one of 10. Yeah. In Morocco, that was normal. And then he moved I know. To, to Israel in the um, I have such envy 60s. of that. Because I have, um, I don't have, like, basically don't, we're not connected to our cousins. And then most of my dad's family, where there would have been extended cousins, died in the Holocaust. So I have such envy of that. Like, mm. oh, to have a giant family like that. 
It's beautiful, but then also Moroccans. Whew. Yes, <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of ancestral trauma that plays out yes. in you know in the form yes. of jealousy and um, yes. competitiveness, and there is a lot of drama. There is a lot of drama. Yeah, I grew up with amazing connections with my cousins. I have thirty first cousins. Some of them I'm still oh. you know extremely close to, especially you know like at the moment yeah. with most of them being in Israel. Yeah. And, um, but it's yeah, it's a lot of drama. Oh my god! And like, Ashkenazi is also different than Sephardim, so right? Different, so, so different. Because like Daniel's a, family, it, we've both got Daniels, but Daniel's yeah. family. It, like when I met Daniel and I, the first time I went to his house, it felt like we came from different religions. The yes. cultures were so yes. disparate, and the foods are different. Like the everything food, down the to cult, the yes, everything. Like in yes. my family, there can never be enough food. There is never too many people that you can invite over, and everyone totally you know, it, it is so different daniel's family are very anglicized as well so yes. they've been in england a long time his grandmother yes. was actually one of the his grandmother's family were one of the first that were let into the first jews who were let into england by oliver cromwell you'll love this because of yeah. your history stuff yeah <laughs> wow so <laughs> um, they're they're hugely anglicized so they're very yes. big on you know manners and politeness and i yes. had to learn things like i didn't know that you weren't allowed to lean over someone at the table to to get something now i've come from a family where there's 40 people at a dinner table on friday nights and yes you throw things you like throw the bread you throw, you know like whoever can whatever you need to do to get the food passed and in daniel's family i he was like don't lean over i was like oh my god why yeah. and he was like no you're not meant to lean over just say excuse me and i was like oh my God, I don't know how to behave right now. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, I mean, you're speaking to what I, part of what I find so beautiful about the Middle Eastern cultures and, and not just Jewish, but there's, you know, the Muslim, like that kind of like, the warmth, the warmth and the big and the hospitality and the yeah. like, you know, the sh literally breaking of bread, yes. you know, and the dipping in the, the sauces and the kind of, yes, I mean, Ashkenazi are are historically uh, more assimilated in that way yes. into Western culture, anglicized or what. So it they are. When I moved to you know growing up in New York City, there I was never around Sephardic ever no. ever. And then I moved to LA when I was twenty five, and I was like Persian Jews. Like what yeah. this is like literally, you could just be a different. You might as well just be a different yeah. religion. And like like you say, the Ashkenazis are, are much more assimilated. And and I I am Sephardi, so I can say this. Yeah. And I say this with love. I don't say this negatively in any way. But we're almost a bit more primitive to our original cultures. That's just how like yes. when the, the breaking yes. of bread. That like as an example yes. on a Friday night when Ashkenazi Jews cut their bread with a bread knife. Yes, yes. our tradition. It's, it's actually a tradition is to break it and throw yes. it to like you don't pass it you throw it yes. it's actually a tradition it's not just because it's a, we throw it to and daniel when daniel first came to us on a friday night he was like what the fuck is going on right <laughs> but now? that seems so beautiful <laughs> to me you know that's funny because we actually in my house we do break it we don't cut it that is interesting we do like tear off the challah um but yes there's no there's no question and that that was a learning curve for me um same with you know learning when i was younger about ethiopian jews in israel flying to pick up the you know to save mm -hmm. the ethiopians like all of that was a learning curve Wasn't for me amazing I grew up, amazing amazing yeah, I've been sharing a lot of videos of ethiopian israelis at the moment and um it reminded me of the time when you know back then 
see in the in the 90s watching the videos of the Elal planes landing literally in the desert like in the middle of nowhere in Ethiopia and I remember crying as a child like seeing these planes land to pick up these Ethiopian Jews and take them out of danger it's, and take them to Israel like it was the most amazing it's incredible thing. yeah it's incredible I've always wondered why there isn't a movie about it because it is such like it's such a classic so movie yeah. story of like rescue and yeah it's Maybe that there is. is one of the. Maybe there is. If anyone knows, yeah, we should ask. Let us know. <laughs> yeah. um, but I think that this is again speaks to the nuance. Like people don't know that in Israel, like Mizrahi Jews or or Ethiopian Jews, or it's not just white Ashkenazi, you know, Jews. White in Ashkenazi, rich, you know, yeah. privileged. Yeah. Yeah. Upper East Siders. It, there yes, is exactly. so much nuance. That's me. Everything. I'm not in Israel. I'm in America. You know what I mean? Like, um, but I think that that, yeah, people don't understand that most people in Israel are visually indistinguishable from their Arab neighbors and Palestinian neighbors. You know? Mm -hmm. So hey, this world is so complex and so layered, just like, you know, all the sects of Christianity and then Catholicism. And there's like, you know, there's all these different subsets to lump anybody like not all white men are the same mm -hmm. not all like i just i find that well I, it comes back it speaks to your point of like the victim thing and the, the 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 denigrating any specific um group that could potentially be slightly more privileged in some way it's like this, this way that we speak about white men now like all white men mm. are bad or it and, and it, again, it kind of almost comes back to this when you were talking about the victimhood, uh, you know, the, the, this kind of victim consciousness we're existing in at the moment. And for me, that's definitely a theme that comes up a lot and that I, I really focus on in my work with clients because I truly believe that the way that we present our, or the way we feel about ourselves and the way we present our identity will determine a lot of the outcome. You know, it's I know true. that when, when that when I identified as the disabled person, I was the disabled person. Yes, you know, whatever my yes. identity is, and so this is why when when we exist in this victim consciousness, it's a bit like now, and and I don't say this to be inflammatory at all because I'm working with my clients on this. I feel deeply passionate about it. I'm saying it with the most amount of love in my heart. The whole thing about kind of neurodiversity at the moment. Oh yes, being huge, and it's yes. almost like right, you are neurodivergent, and so you can now forgive yourself, be okay with this, 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 or that. And I'm not saying you shouldn't forgive yourself or shouldn't be kind to yourself. Absolutely, you should. Also, and there are yes. many things we can do, and there are many reasons why so many people are suffering with yes. neurological yes. challenges yes. because yes. of our, the way that our modern lives are and what, what's expected of us. You, know, you were talking about the internet before. Yeah. Have you heard this stat? I'm sure you have because you read everything. That <laughs> we, we have taken in more information or, or more information has been circulated around the world and is available, has been available from 2003 to now than was ever made available from the beginning of the human civilization until 2003. You know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of, so Wesley Yang is a um, modern social philosopher and he coined the phrase digital pathogen. Okay. So this idea, like if, you know, girls on TikTok are seeing others who are anorexic, then they develop those behaviors, you know, and that, and we're seeing that left, right and center. Right. Yeah. And it's like, it really, 
it's incredibly worrisome. And one has to fight to really maintain one's integrity in our current culture. And this is why I think literature is so important because it literally rewires our brain. And it's like, I, you know, I, why I also think like long form journalism is so Mm -hmm. important rather than getting your information from a meme. It's like, I'm so much more into Substacks right, right now. Yes. Oh, Substack is fantastic. I mean, it's it's like, yes. And, and also when I say that, it's also like, a lot of mainstream media is really limited in its perspective. But, you know, the New York Times said that the Warsaw ghetto uprising was an overreaction in the 30s. So like, I, you know, it's, it's all complex, you know, it's like, we shouldn't just believe mainstream media because it's legacy media. And we shouldn't just believe someone on TikTok because they're a citizen journalist. Like mm. there's everything in between, right? And mm. that's why critical thinking is so important and in such short short and that's supply. what we're missing yeah. when we are being told that the way you know this thing that you're feeling is there's there's something wrong with you and you just need to accept that and and you know I, coming from where i come from with healing myself it's given me that kind of almost i don't want to say authority but the a way to be able to say but but also there are things we can also. do about it we don't have to exist in that victim consciousness there are so many things we can do it's not that there's something wrong with you it's that there is so much information and so much more is expected of us as human beings than we have evolved to be able to manage. That's it. On that's, a physical, that's emotional, it. mental level. So it's that's not that it. there's something wrong with you. It's literally that yeah. there is just too much going on. And when we regulate the nervous system and we regulate the immune system, we can cope better. And we have just, That's exactly it. And some of us that's are going it. to be more prone to dysregulated nervous systems. That, and then, you know, what happens as a result of that, which shows up differently for everyone and some of us are not. So, you know, it's just managing modern life. Yeah, I mean, that's that's exactly that's exactly it. And it's like, you know, I I came it's just interesting because I feel like so there's this book called Demon Copperhead. I won oh, the Pulitzer. I'm just about to start it. Oh my god. Yeah. It's so well, I phenomenal. know if it's your recommendation, I'm gonna... <laughs> It's uh, it's the best book I've read this year and best book certainly since A Little Life, um, which I read a decade ago. And I've read incredible books in between. I'm a voracious reader, but that not, it's incredible. And it's a retelling of David Copperfield, but through the perspective of the Appalachian uh, opioid crisis and foster care system. And, you know, what has, what has happened in the Appalachian South from the coal mines to uh, the opioid crisis is, an abomination. And in America, there's this incredible, incredibly horrific, like dismissal of like hillbillies, right? Like mm-hmm. just seeing them as basically subhuman without any context. And this book really speaks to uh, just how, how much heart and determination there is among people who have just been just decimated by um various factors and it's like they are many of these characters are white they have been through horrific situations they are not oppressors Mm -hmm. you know what i mean and Mm -hmm. so this idea that just because of your identity you are 
you are, you know, perceived that way. And like, you know, as an example, like I do, you know, my dad did well, but I don't, I don't exist from a trust fund. Like everything I built, I built for myself and I, you know, I can support myself and I do well, but it's like, I made a choice to say like, what are the values that matter the most to me? Mm -hmm. And the values to me were not like pursuing, it was, it was excellence in what I did and being able to pay my mortgage and, you know, support myself and take myself on a trip here and there. But it, it was not, and I'm, I live in abundant life, but my abundance is not like extreme financial in any way, shape or form. I understand I, I come from some security, like meaning I don't have scarcity mindset from being a child, which other people do, which is going to drive them to make, you know, monetary security their priority. I understand that. But like, this is why it's like context matters to everything. It's like, I just think this idea that like people are cannot be defined by where they come from solely. It's part of a larger story, you know? And I think that that is, again, nuance. We don't, we, we don't talk about that. We just talk about you're this. I'm from New York City, so therefore I X, Y, you know? I'm with a partner who grew up, you know, I'm not, he, I don't allude to him publicly on like, he does, I don't think I like give his full name or whatever, but he, he grew up in trailer parks, like devout Christian trailer parks, really, really rough upbringing. Like uh, that has given me a window into something like there's stabilization now, but like in, in his family, but that's given me a window into something that I never would have had, mm-hmm. had I not been with him. Like, I don't know. We just have to see the humanness in people. That, that, that's kind of the problem that we're witnessing right now is the dehumanization mm-hmm. of the other side of what you believe in or what your, you know, your yes. opinion is on that particular day. Yeah. And I think that's always an, an issue. And it, it's always something that I've, I think as a highly sensitive person, and someone who's always been able to to feel energy as a child, I had that connection to people, you know, like I always say my dad should have turned off the news because I was deeply traumatized from so much in my childhood from watching the news. But I felt deeply connected to, you know, what was going on like in the Bosnian war and the Romanian orphans, you know, the Romanian orphanages in the 90s and Nelson Mandela and what was going on in South Africa. I felt so deeply connected to all of that. And it amazes me that other people can look at one side and be like, yeah, but, yeah, you know, and I just find that to be so much of the problem. And, and again, that brings us back to the, to the subject of nuance. Well, it's like not every South African, not every Afrikaner is, was a terrible human being, you know, not every white Southerner during the civil rights movement was, you know, spitting on blacks some were actually in support of civil rights like again human individual stories and like i just think there is this this rush to just lump an entire type of entire identity under one umbrella and it's really disastrous right it's really like for 
empathy and our, you know, our ability to see our own humanity. And like, I think about this all the time in terms of, so I lost a lot of family in the Holocaust, but I think about all the time, like, what was it like to be German? Mm. It wasn't, it wasn't a picnic. Like, you know, all the light I cannot see does a, that novel does a beautiful job of depicting like how horrific it was for Germans at that Mm. time. Like, and what do you do if your choice is between death and joining the Nazi party? I don't think it's that easy. I don't think it's that like, oh, well, you know, therefore like every German deserves, you know, every German at that time deserved or every German woman when the Russians came in and there was what was called the rape of Berlin where there was this massive rape of um, Berlin women under that brief occupation of the Soviets, it's like, they didn't deserve that. You know, I just think like, I always think that like what, because it's so easy for us to say, I would have done this and I would have been the person who, and like, I am very much a person who speaks my truth against um, the mainstream narrative. And so I kind of do have that evidence. However, if someone was if there was a chance that my children could be harmed exactly killed because I'm hiding someone would I do it we don't know you don't know what you would do you don't know you know did you see a small light god it's so beautiful it's a mini you know it's a mini series and it's you know told him the it's basically focuses on Meep Gies and her husband and I didn't realize there were six people that were actively hiding, you know, the Franks and the Von Pels and all of that. I didn't realize it was, and I didn't realize how much Meep Gee's husband had done and how much of a part of the resistance. And, you know, I, I just learned so much more about the Dutch resistance and, and it's, it's so well done and modernized in a way that's so accessible. It's, it's incredible. Like I highly, highly recommend that. it. Yeah. It's one of the best things I saw all year for sure. Uh, But I just think about that all the time. And I think about, you know, also we've come to equate speaking out with being virtuous, but actually sometimes the bravest thing is the, well, the bravest thing is actually people who are doing the thing, not speaking about the thing. Right. This is what I mean. This is what I said about you earlier, though. That's where you teach me a lot in that. Because I was but raised I in don't a family that, who was, right. you say everything you feel and you just, you know, and that, that was how I was raised. Yeah. And that I really have had to learn to hold my tongue and to not always say what I'm feeling, you know, in situations, like in, in personal situations yeah. as well, like with friends. And I don't always do that right still because my conditioning was so much so that like you feel everything, you say it and that, and actually like it, it, there's so much more virtue in just, you know, having that grace. Well, there's a place for all of it, right? Because holding it in unnecessarily also isn't helpful. So I, I think that, I think there is there is a beauty in in growing up in a home where things are so vocalized and it's like because i that was a lot of my family but we didn't actually communicate we just kind of like people just kind of spewed their thing yeah yeah yeah. but i (laughs) think i think that there right i think that there is 
I don't know. I think there's just so much fertile ground here for bending the arc towards justice. Um, and I think that it starts with the human element, but just going back to that, like I, you know, I, I ask myself that all the time, if I were, you know, as a student of history and I, if I lived in a previous era, I, for sure, it was the South in the 18, late 1800s, mid we to late 1800s. Together, we were hundreds uh, like, there together. <laughs> I just, and I don't even know what role, I just know that the first time I came to the South, I was like, and from when I was little, I only wanted to read books about the South. I was just the civil rights movement. It was just a point of like complete fis fixation and fascination. Like if I were to go get a PhD, it would be either in like very early Christianity, like Gnostic Christianity or the antebellum South to the civil rights, like that, those two eras. It's I so feel crazy how similar we are, like, and take into account, I did not live in America. We were not yes. taught about the civil rights yeah. movement until I was like 18. No one had ever told me that that was a thing. Yes. Slavery, none of yeah. it. And when I was 15, I took myself to the library and took out a book about it. And when we had to write something for our GCSEs, which is like the equivalent of the SATs, I guess. Yeah. Um, when I was 16, 15 or 16, we had to write about a topic we felt passionately about. And that's why I, I wrote it. about, yeah, I wrote about the civil rights movement and slavery. And my teacher was like, where did you even get this? I was like, <laughs> why are we not learning about this? Why? And she, she was fascinated with this piece. And to this day, I'm like, there was something deeply inside me that had to know about that. And that already knew about it, you know, like, am I, like I knew yes. I had been there. you got to come visit. It's I'm really, coming, coming. it's, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've just always been fixated on that and like it, and just watching I've, I've watched mississippi mississippi burning like 10 times like mm -hmm. it's it's so hard to watch but i i just have felt i don't know what role i played but i think about or who i was i should probably go see a past life person but i really feel like uh i always ask myself like you have no idea like if you if you're raised in a culture that believes a certain thing and you participate in that. Like, it's just so easy to have moral superiority with hindsight. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It just is. It's just like, you just don't know. And I think about it all the time with the Germans. And I think about, you know, the Germans that, or the Nazis that actually killed and put my family in ovens. Like, what what leads you to that and yeah what kind of duress and what it's just it's and that's why i return to art again and again which is a place of privilege to be able to do that but it's like this is my journey this is where i am in this lifetime but i just think there's it's so easy to point fingers and it's and moral righteousness i think the thing that i have the hardest time with is like that kind of moral righteousness um no matter how it's showing up like i am this and i would do this and mm -hmm. frankly if you would and you were you wouldn't be talking about it you'd just be doing it mm. yeah and i think so to go back to what we said at the beginning and maybe to like wrap up our yeah. virgo pisces yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with the pendulum is swinging back sorry my kids are yeah. screaming <laughs> they just come in again mama um <laughs> 
you know, we're seeing that pendulum swing back now, I think, yes. in, in, in being faced with these massive moments of war yes. and, yes. you know, like huge stuff that's going on. Yes. It does give us the opportunity to assess, to go into like a deep self-assessment. And, I think so. and so I so I do that, you know, like we can't, it's very hard, you know, especially for me at the moment to look at, for all of us, you know, yeah. to look at a situation as, as difficult and, and, and awful as what's going on and go, yeah, but there's blessings in it. But, you know, if you speak to any true spiritual yeah. teacher, they will tell you like every every you know point of humanity where things like this have happened is propelled us to something else and of course 100%. there's going to be lessons there and it is forcing us to to assess ourselves and our own moral judgments and our own everything and there is growth in all of that so i think that um maybe that can be like the theme yes <laughs> we've come back to from from everything we've just 100 um and before we end we have to talk about books um okay. because obviously <laughs> me and you and there's no like mini book club um if we could like keep it to five yeah. minutes <laughs> what are we talking about we're not gonna keep it to five minutes um <laughs> you mentioned demon copperhead which is next yes. on my list um uh, Robert so King i'm so Solder. glad that you said that yeah. yeah um and actually it's funny because i bought it a few months yeah. ago i haven't read it yet um and then we went into a bookshop when we were in the isle of Wight, and daniel said to the guy you know out of all the books now what would you recommend and he said demon copperhead so yes, we're very excited about that i also read still life this year have you read still life no read it. sarah okay. win okay. sarah winman british author okay um and you will love it because it's okay set never in, even heard of it um a second world war and post second world war um london and uh, italy uh um beautiful 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 book um okay. and you will love it i'm also reading tales of power um by um carlos castaneda which is actually based on the life of don javier my shaman and his oh. work with don juan um his apprenticeship wow. with Don Juan. Yeah. So, uh, but it's taking me a while to get through it but what go what are yours what are your recommendations so the my favorite books I've read this year are Demon Copperhead, Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. And I'm I'm just I've got like literally 15 pages left of Absolution by Alice McDermott, which is is Anne Patchett called it a moral masterpiece. And I'd I'd have to agree. Uh it's about wives uh in Vietnam, wives of those stationed in Vietnam. But just prior to like the blow up of the war like so uh very early 60s but it's really about like one's moral role Wait, and, what's like, it looking called? back it's called absolution by yeah. alice mcdermott it's phenomenal uh and i read it came out in 2022 but i just right before this i finished a book called lost and found which is a memoir by katherine schultz which is beautiful uh you yeah, mentioned I Anne, Anne Patchett. Patchett. I just, I just, yes. yeah, I just read Tom Lake. Did you read Tom Lake? I did, and I love Tom Lake. Um, it really comes together in the end. I think she does a beautiful does, job. Yeah. And I think for women of a certain age, there's something incredibly resonant about it. Mm. Um, it was very. I had that feeling of um, the feeling of nostalgia. Yes. Of times that you, I'm, I'm, I'm going to articulate this really badly, but how I felt about covid like the time during yes. covid was i was raising like young babies during that time yes it was really hard i was also aware like don't focus on the hard 
all the time because this is going to be a time that you are going to wish to get back. And it's yes. that, that feeling of nostalgia before you've lost it. Like before, yes. I'm not articulating it very well. I like, know. You know that yes. you're going to be nostalgic for yes. this time. And so yes. that, Tom Lake felt like that, like that nostalgia. Yes. Being home on a farm with all her children while they had time to play games and be together and oh. talk and talk about memories, like stuff like that really resonates with me. And I didn't love the book, all of it. As like yeah. the first half, I wasn't gripped by any yes like at all yes but towards the end i was more like oh it has that feeling of nostalgia that i love she really brings it together in the end like it it felt deeply resonant for me and there was a lot that i personally resonated with even though my life looks very different i was i was just very moved by it as a whole mm. yeah uh and then i haven't so a novelist that I've read every single thing they've written is Michael Cunningham. And every, like, it's been like a decade since he put out a novel. And every, like, couple months, I'll be like, where's Michael? Like, just what's he doing? And I don't read anything. And then, and then I went on Bookshop, where I order all my books, and I saw that he has a new novel out. So it's coming tomorrow. <laughs> and I already know that it's going to be one of my favorite, just because he's my favorite. He's... He's like my I favorite never novelist. Read anything by him. He wrote The Hours. Most oh, people know okay. him because yeah. he wrote The Hours. But uh, I've read literally everything he's ever written. And so all I know is that he has a new novel and that from what I saw, the reviews are fantastic. But I didn't want to read too much because no one can write a sentence like he can. He okay, is I'm just like, uh, but his new novel. So by the time this will come out, I'll be done with it. And I'm sure... I'm sure I will feel the same way as I do going into it that I will when yeah, I finish yeah. it. But yeah, I have you ever have you ever read? Because um, I'm a massive Elizabeth yeah. Gilbert fan. That's how uh, I, yeah. that's how why I read Tom Lake because she loves Anne Patchett. Yeah. Um, have you ever read Big Magic? I have read Big Magic years ago when it came out. Really? So I have yes. read it this year. And I loved it so much because it it put me so deeply into that place. And just for anyone listening, it, it is Elizabeth Gilbert, it's not a novel. It is nonfiction. It's trying to teach yes. us how to get back into our creativity for the sake of creativity. And it was such a, it was so timely for me. It was really at that time where I was yeah. feeling at the beginning of this year, right, right now you have to find that balance and come back to the home more and to your creativity and not be so focused on business and, you know, all of that yes. very masculine yeah. stuff, be more focused on the children, the home, the cooking, the creativity, like all the feminine stuff. And it brought me back to my love of writing and to my love of all things creative and doing it for the sake of doing it. Like there is a, an element of spirituality that comes through creativity. And she brought me back to that with that book. And I enjoyed it so much. I reckon I actually created one of my group calls for my my membership, my inner circle membership ladies was based on that book. Your creativity oh. is a whole spirituality. Um, and I got them all to read it. I got all my members to read it. And yeah, it was so it was so needed for me actually at that time. I love it. I'm really I was really saddened to read. I was looking forward to her next novel, but she pulled it because yeah, it was set it, in yeah. Russia. I I was very saddened by that choice because I felt like that flew in the face of a lot of what she has written about and promoted, which is to stand behind your art. Um, hopefully she releases it. 
she will release it. I think it's very hard to be as big in the public eye as she is. And yes, be so I understand that. Venerated, and, yes. and you know, and and it, it, I do, I do look at her, and I, I didn't, I, I kind of feel the same as you, but also respected her just in terms of like I can't judge for her for that because. Yeah. I just can't I don't imagine judge it. What it, it just made me like sad. It yeah. just made me sad. Like, I agree. Like, yeah, I think just... I think it will come out soon. I actually read the signature of all things of hers, which I'd never yeah. read before. Have you read that? No, I read the other one, which was kind of campy and light and fun. What was it? City of Girls. City of Girls. Yeah, that yeah. was the signature of all things. Bizarre book, but I think you'd like it. it it's <laughs> okay. Set, yeah, it's set in. Um, where was it in America? Uh, Pennsylvania. Okay. During the 17 and 1800s, but oh yes, in like London. botanist. Yes. Was it a botanist? Right. Yes, yeah. I remember and reading actually, about this. She talks about it in Big Magic because in Big Magic she talks about how after Eat, Pray, Love, she was this huge phenomenon, and she was like, "How am I going to ever?" Oh, I remember it? this. I remember this. Yes. Yeah. So she's like, "I'm going to write about botanists in the 17th no, century." No, she no. She was oh. like, she she needed to remove herself from her art completely. Ah, okay. Who, um, it's what Einstein calls combinatory play. That when you oh. actually are thinking about what you need to write or what you need to do so much, you don't. The ideas don't come. But when you remove yes. yourself from it, you know, you, your brain has the space for you know the for your ideas to come to you. So she decided to take up botany as a hobby. And literally oh. did it for like a year or something. And then during that time, ideas started coming to her for a book. And that I became that. the signature of all things. I yeah, love it. It was interesting. Anyway, right, we Wait. could talk about books <laughs> yeah. forever, but totally. we should probably wrap up. Um, to anyone who thought you were logging on to this episode to listen purely to uh, anything about astrology, I apologize. We apologize. <laughs> but I hope you've taken something away from our round. It was in there. It was in there. <laughs> it was in there. I'm it was in there. Thank you for having me. This is a beautiful conversation. Thank you for always blessing me with your beautiful presence, mm. your honesty, your rawness. I learn genuinely, I learn so much mm. from you. Like, I don't think you realize from a distance how much you mm. inspire me to grow. So, wow. thank you. Oh my God. It makes me want to cry. Well, I hope you have a beautiful afternoon. And I do hope to get to London and England and um, and have a proper tea with you. We will. We will do okay. it have a beautiful evening you too Bye. i hope you enjoyed this episode of reconditioned i am honestly so grateful to each and every person that tunes in thank you also for taking responsibility for your own well-being you should know that just by choosing to listen to podcasts like this that further your well-being you're moving more deeply into abundance consciousness now don't forget I have a bunch of free resources over at laurenvacneen.co.uk as well as every recommendation you could ever need in regards to your well-being on the LV Recommends page, all categorized for your ease. Thank you also to our sponsors. These episodes would not be possible without them, so make sure to check them out and get some pretty awesome discounts on the show notes. And of course, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so that you can get updated each time a new one is released. Thank you. I appreciate it. Appreciate you.